The Bridge is a podcast for all businesses where the consumer purchase takes place at a physical location, but those same consumers are shopping and narrowing their choices down online. That jump from online to in-store is where most businesses struggle. Each episode, we'll focus on real strategies and examples from industry experts on how to dominate this complex and competitive environment by sharing the latest trends in technology and process. Wow. I cannot believe we have reached the final episode of season two of The Bridge. This year has been a doozy. It brought so many unexpected changes. Uh, We launched while we were in the middle of facing a lot of new challenges, working remotely, addressing an unstable economy, and having to adapt on an almost daily basis. Right in the middle of the beginning of the season, we actually went from a in-office format um, to recording in uh, my bedroom. So huge changes. And as the year unfolded along with our season, our new realities of having to be agile in our daily lives quickly became the norm. Yet for us, one thing remained certain, and that was our commitment to providing you, our listeners, with valuable insights. And I think we had some uh, success with that. What we're most excited about for this season was our focus around sales. Um, In a time where businesses were pivoting and facing unanticipated challenges, creating a seamless experience for potential customers was key. Our guests this season consisted of experts who understood how to drive experiences from online to on-site, digging into specific steps on how to elevate the buyer experience and how to pivot from actual in-person appointments and tours uh, on that on-site portion to actually tweaking into more of a virtual appointment or virtual tour or virtual consultation setting. And we had some great, great, great tips on on getting a lot of that done as we navigated through this uh, crisis. In this wrap-up episode, we are pulling out the key takeaways from each episode. We're going to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. So if you missed one, This episode will give you the Cliff Notes version of each guest to help you take the next steps in your business. In our first episode of the series, you heard from Matt Wyrick and Jordan Easley from RealLink, a video leasing platform from the multifamily apartment industry that instantly connects leasing professionals and prospects to communities. A hot topic this year has been replacing in-person visits amid the COVID-19 crisis with virtual tours. As a business, what do you need to know? Let's hear from Matt. But even online today, still for multifamily on websites, you predominantly see pictures of the model unit, and that's it. And so to actually see your unit experience the property, you still have to physically show up. And for a lot of people today, they either don't want to do that anymore or physically can't. We're a transient nation. People are moving across borders all the time now. And so it's getting harder and harder to expect that physical tour to happen. A a recent survey was released that showed 16% of consumers no longer want to even visit the property. Mm -hmm. And so that's a powerful stat that shows more and more people flat out don't even want to go to the property. Understanding the pain point consumers are in is vital. But how do you measure the success of implementing something like a virtual tour or online experience? Next, you'll hear from Jordan with RealLink. Even online today, still for multifamily on websites, you predominantly see pictures of the model unit, and that's it. And so to actually see your unit experience the property, you still have to physically show up. 
And for a lot of people today, they either don't want to do that anymore or physically can't. We're a transient nation. People are moving across borders all the time now. And so it's getting harder and harder to expect that physical tour to happen. A recent survey was released that showed 16% of consumers no longer want to even visit the property. Mm-hmm. And so that's a powerful stat yeah, that shows sure. more and more people flat out don't even want to go to the property. I was wondering if it's like a laziness stat for us as a, as a society <laughs> or if it's actually just kind of out of necessity. It's probably a little combination of both, yeah, right? I'm sure it is. Definitely a combination of both. Yeah. So it, that, that move to Chicago kind of opened my eyes to that gap in opportunity. And uh, here we are six years later making it happen. So now that we're going to jump into it a little bit. So let's talk uh, easiest start, best, best possible use case. So I am a leasing agent. How do I see your lead uh, come across in the form of video? And what, what are, what's the best use case for you in terms of um, application as a leasing agent for the Reallink solution? Once a lead comes into the property and comes into that sales funnel for a leasing agent, that's really where the bulk of the Reallink use case lives. So say an online tool like Perk, a great lead comes into the community, then that leasing agent wants to establish that connection, have some sort of conversation, start the touring process, and get them to a lease as quickly and efficiently as possible. That's really where the majority of Reallink lives. So perfect use case, say a lead comes in through the website, filled out a form, know this person's looking for a one-bed, one-bath starting Jan 1. As a first contact with that person, a leasing agent can create a playlist of available one-bedroom units, send that playlist to that prospect, and the nice thing about it with Reallink, it creates unique links whenever they share that. And so I, the leasing agent, actually get notifications telling me what videos they're watching, when they're watching it, how many times they watch them. And so if I send a playlist of eight one-bedroom units, I can see that that lead watched this one three times more than all the others. So that already gives me a little more insight to know kind of what they're leaning towards. And then if they... And, and, and I'm recording it as a leasing agent? Majority of the time, a lot of those videos will already be created. Cloud-based, they can just automatically pull those and ship those off. So sometimes it's actually a facilitation of the video rather than me generating the video than sending it off. Exactly. Okay. If there is a gap, though, and uh, you're interested in a unit that I don't have a video for... The average unit takes 10, 12 minutes to record. And so it's super easy for the leasing agent to pop out, record that video, and have something that they can ship off. But that's usually a first contact. And they'll send community overview videos, sometime an introductory video, introducing themselves to the prospect, things like that. So yeah. just a lot of ways that uh, video can be used to establish that first connection. And then throughout the process, they can host a live tour if that person can't get to the property for two weeks, or if they are coming tomorrow, still sending those videos as a preview helps streamline the process. And ultimately, it's uh, trying to get them to see what they want to see quicker and sign on that line. Matt, uh, when you say a live tour, is that like somebody literally, like almost like a FaceTime, like someone's walking them through so they can like ask questions? Exactly yeah. like FaceTime. Yep. Okay. So actually, the back when I had the original idea for Reallink was when FaceTime came out. So that was kind of that light bulb moment <laughs> of I absolutely would have used something like this to connect with a leasing team to walk through the space. So it's a real-time video, audio-enabled, device agnostic, so it doesn't have to just be on an iOS device. 
while the tour is going on, we can watch an interactive map of the area to drop pins, see how close the property is to work, school, parks, things like that. As the uh, attendee of the tour, I can capture photos, take notes, and then all of that gets saved and recorded as well. So even after that tour is done, if I wanted to send it off to my wife or a roommate or someone like that who may not have joined the live tour, I've got a link to that recording. Anecdotally, what's some of the feedback um, that you guys hear, Jordan, um, from customers that are leveraging the tool? Yeah, so Fabian, the question about FaceTime, you know, most teams are already doing something like this. They're just kind of cobbling together some sort of like, I'm going to use my personal phone to use FaceTime, and now some random prospect across the country has my phone number because I did FaceTime, right? So some of the anecdotal you know, feedback we get is this is way better. Th- that stuff works, right? So doing FaceTime works. It helps them lease that Perfect, apartment. Yep. But there's a ton of gaps. There's a ton of inefficiencies. There's a ton of unideal you know, sharing my phone number kind of things that happen when they're trying to do that on their own. So a lot of the feedback we get from our end users is, this is you know, making it way easier, and we just feel way more comfortable doing this than we would otherwise. And anecdotally as well, one of the things that we do above and beyond just providing a technology, we actually mandate on-site training of every new multifamily property we roll out to. And so we physically can look someone in the eyes and see the fear they have doing video. And we can speak into that. We can train them through that. And so we're actually partnering with these owners, managers, developers to be an extension to make video a corporate strategy for them. The reason uh, that we usually talk about um, anecdotes versus actual metrics is because the idea of a tool is always that it's fulfilling a need that's typically, ideally, based in common sense, Mm -hmm. right? To your point, they're hobbling something together already. We know the video is super powerful. Why don't we just use video for this purpose? Wow, it's got to work. But then you do it and you get some good feedback. You understand the use cases and now you have to start to get some metrics because the anecdotes don't necessarily validate the payment. So you guys, I'm sure, have, as you've already kind of alluded to a little bit, a lot of metrics that you talk about. How do you boil those metrics down into two things? A, proof that there is a return and B, the ability to understand how that team, that on-site team can improve by leveraging um, the digital leads and turning them into in-person sales or maybe just straight to sale, if we want to call that e-commerce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, because we are in that leasing process, the big metrics that we're hitting are conversion rates, sales cycles, and site unseen leasing. And so we're really, the the number one thing that we're tracking is, are we impacting the conversion rate? Are we helping them convert more people from inbound lead to sign lease? Which, thankfully, because that is the number one metric that we are reporting, tracking against, we're doing really well on that front. We've seen upwards of 60-70% conversion rates, which is unheard of in the industry on average well there is no great average everyone tracks it differently but yep. on average roughly about 12 15 percent maybe 20 percent on the high end yep and our, that's what we see yep. exactly and we are very comfortable saying that we can come in and if they're doing real link effectively integrated into their daily workflow and processes we can double those and we have people that are more than doubling that. Yep. And so that's a really, really impactful number because they can do less work and be more effective and efficient. So let's stay on that one for a second. So in order to do that, you're basically saying every lead that goes into a CRM, you're matching against lease data and then also matching it against videos that were used during inside of your platform. 
So kind of a three-way match that gets to the gets to the upwards of 60% number. Yep, exactly. Yep. So we're we're really a lot of people calculate conversion rates differently and lead attribution and all of this stuff, but we really look at the lead came in and the lead signed the application and leased and moved in and all that. So that's that's literally the world that we're living in. To wrap up this first episode, Andy asked the RealLink team How should an on-site team treat those digital leads to help them convert to the next step? Everybody's got a different level of comfort with being on the phone, being on email, texting. Some teams don't have the ability to text anyway just because of legal reasons or there are tools out there they could buy, but for budget reasons, they don't have that. So um, I'd say most common is probably an email follow-up with those folks um, just because it's easier and then they can read that email on their own time. I think probably it's more successful if you pick up the phone and call. Uh, most of the time, but a lot of those team members, it's not common because a lot of those people aren't as comfortable with that. To build on this, we had David Kane, an internet sales training and marketing provider on for episode two. He has a wealth of knowledge on sales training in the automotive and retail spaces and came on to discuss the approach sales professionals should take when handling digital leads in particular. What we've come to understand is if somebody is shopping for any product or service, one thing that they've almost come to consider normal is I'm going to get bad service. So we have kind of walked away from reaching out to the guest by telephone in so many instances. And what we found is when you cold call a customer, they're eating dinner, they're drinking coffee, they're at work or whatever, and they're not expecting a call if they're not shopping for a product or service. So what we found is if somebody moments ago submitted a request, their mind is really focused on that, at least around the five-minute window in between when they were online or they are just coming offline. But whatever product or service they were shopping for, it's still probably still percolating around in their minds. Mm-hmm. What we found is uh, that's the prime time to reach out to them and give them what we would consider extraordinary service, something they wouldn't expect, which is a, a telephone call. Or if we're going to email them, offer the opportunity to I'm available right now if you want to just jump on the phone or same thing with the text message suggest to them that if you'd be open to it, I've got the information you asked about right here. Uh, let's jump on the phone. And and now the customer is in a position where they're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll walk out here in the hallway. My boss isn't, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about that. Another key thing David shared is how to embrace the digital opportunities available to you and your sales staff. What's the first step in adding that to your process? The thing that we try to impress upon new recruits into digital selling is be where the customer is. And that starts with whether they start at a search engine, Google, Yahoo, or Bing, or or perhaps YouTube. They are in a a position to where we need to see what that guest experience was so that we are then able to empathize with them and and perhaps suggest to them that, wow, it's wonderful that you've been online. I've 
done that myself. Uh, I Googled for home furnishings. I Googled for a boat. I Googled for a guitar. And uh, I ended up seeing these links that came through. And I clicked this one because it had a description of what I thought I was looking for. And what we find is, particularly in the automotive businesses, once we're able to expose salespeople, sales managers, finance or business managers to what that customer experiences online, it then kind of does the wiring in our brain to appreciate, oh my gosh, no wonder that customer is impatient when I make them back up and start over. Or no wonder that customer didn't respond to me when I sent this information back to them because they already had it. Or So what we've got to do is to just get on their side of the equation. And I think that's probably the logical place to start, Andy, because then if we can sincerely say to them, I understand how you feel. I felt the exact same way. Uh, But I found when I shopped online, I was able to and then fill in the blank. So I think that's probably the first step uh, that I would start at. While David provides rich context into the execution of the sales process, there's one thing we didn't discuss with him, and that's what do you do when the sales team is resistant to going digital? So in the next episode, Brian Scott, president of Big Sandy Superstore, joined us to provide a way to overcome your team's hesitation. And for him, it was all about training. So we are looking at their, their close rate, obviously, the lead to sale number. Um, you know, how, how many leads have I been given? You know, how many deals did I actually close? Um, we're looking at some of those average ticket numbers. You know, it, it, it's very important that that perk specialist understands just the opportunity that they have. You know, the, those leads are literally being funneled to them. And obviously, if one person, you know, their lead to sale is, you know, 50 percent, someone else is 20 percent. They're just not understanding the opportunity. Um, they're not understanding how to engage with the consumer, how to invite them and get them through the door. So that we're often, I mean, the biggest thing is lead to sale, you know, looking at how many leads am I getting, how many am I actually closing um, and making sure that, you know, we're monitoring that on a monthly basis and working with those producers that, that aren't totally understanding the opportunity. We asked him to dig into how he structured his team to support this level of training. The members who wanted to be trained were offered unique benefits and certification that enabled them to grow in their sales role while simultaneously building up other team members. Take a listen to this approach. We call them Wiley veterans. You know, they, <laughs> they're, they're set in their ways. You know, they may or may not have been successful in their ways, but, you know, they just don't like change. And we found by opening up the perk specialist opportunity, it, it really, you're getting people in there that, that want, that understand the opportunity, they want to do it, you know, rather than trying to force somebody kicking and screaming to, to do it, you've got people in there that they're, they're educated on the process, the experience, they want to do it, they understand the opportunity. And I think that's, that's the most impactful thing is they have to understand the opportunity. I mean, you're literally, in addition to just the normal, you know, traffic that's coming through the doors, they've got a list of, you know, potential clients that all they've got to do is just follow the process and ultimately, you know, it, it's, it's, it's free money. One area Bryant talked about was creating a VIP experience for your customers so that no matter how a buyer interacts with your brand, there is continuity between doing initial research online 
and going into the actual retail location. Or in the instance of many people right now, doing that consultation and maybe making that purchase via the phone or online. Here's what he had to say about his approach. The goal is <laughs> when the customer comes to the store, we've got a, you know, we've got a CRM tool that if they've engaged with us on our website, uh, I mentioned earlier, we've got different experiences on the website where you know, they can find out their design style, uh, what type of refrigerator they prefer. You know, there's a few different experiences that keep them on the website. It also helps us to be able to collect their information and follow up with that consumer. They can, they can even schedule appointments. And, you know, our sales professional knows with our CRM tool a lot about that consumer. Um, we can see what websites, I'm sorry, what web pages they've, they've viewed on our website, you know. And so we have a good uh, understanding of the consumer. You know, that whole qualification process, we understand much better when they come to the store because they've already engaged with us on the website. So at that point, you know, you're almost like greeting a friend and we call them, you know, the VIP, they're a VIP. So, you know, we try to do some, some different things in regards to offering them a drink. Uh, we've got uh, some financing options that where we can get them pre-approved immediately um, and, and just give them that security that, you know, if I come in today and I want to shop and, you know, I'm, maybe I'm looking at a sofa, but, you know, it's been quite some time since I've replaced my appliances and, you know, I can come in and make a purchase that literally furnishes my entire home, utilizing some different financing tools and things like that. So, you know, the, the, the main thing is just making that consumer feel welcome, feel special, um, getting them pre-approved for some of the financing options, offering them a drink, um, you know, just coming in like they're shopping with a friend. It's not coming in shopping with a salesperson. Now, building on the notion of creating memorable customer experiences was Desiree White and Colin Cloud from NE Property Management. They shared their marketing approach to equip their on-site staff to have a world-class customer experience. And one way they do that is by leaning into the information the prospect or renter has already provided them. With that bit of context in mind, Desiree explains their approach to providing online leads to their team. When the lead has that much data coming along with it, it's not really a cold call. You should really know that mm. person yeah, at that's that good. point. That's a good point. So yeah. we don't want to be in the realm of like a telemarketer. Hi, Andy. I'm Desiree. You're looking for an apartment? That doesn't make me want mm -hmm. to talk to you any longer. <laughs> but if we got data that Andy has two dogs, Larry and Reggie, he has two daughters, I do have two dogs, Larry and Reggie. I'm a name person. That is not what I expect. But you read the lead information with the data. Okay, you might not remember the two dogs' names, but he has two dogs. He's going to feel like that's a more personalized experience for him and that that person truly wants to help him find his next home. And that's the main goal is Finding a home is a big deal. For sure. It's a huge part of your life. And it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It's an investment. And you don't need to act like you're selling it to them. You're helping them in this journey. How can we assist you and make this experience the best experience you've ever had? To add to that, Colin shared what many sales professionals do wrong when handling the leads instead of creating that personalized experience that Desiree shared. You can get into a rhythm very easily, just the day to day. You kind of get caught up in it and you're, 
have your list of follow-ups, right? And you're really just viewing them as a check mark, right? You're just kind of running through them. Are you really taking every chance that you can to capitalize on this is a prospect that could come in you can set an appointment for? Because a lot of times we do just see, well, you're just, you're following up, but how good are you following up? Are you using all this data that we talk about to make sure that you're trying to get them in and ultimately lease? While we've covered a lot of ground, a reoccurring theme is the experience a potential customer or prospect has online or in-store. Yet, in a retail or real estate experience, lead prioritization often presents its own challenges, specifically when a sales team member is asked to do online lead follow-up while still managing the foot traffic of buyers coming through their door, or in the case of quarantine, maybe calling the phone. Offering his perspective on this struggle was Robert Lee, Director of Operations Programming from Highly. In this clip, he talks about how you can reduce the burden of the sales team through the power of automation. Much of the closing of the, the sale is once they get them to the door, you get them to tour with you, and you're able to uh, start communicating those lease agreements and doing that. And that, that's where the heavy lifting really picks up. But there's a lot of opportunity uh, from the shopper being able to find you online and self-service themselves to your door and learn about your communities without having to burden the sales team a little bit. So there is a lot, I think, of strategy with some automation and some processes that can be put into place to help on that front end of the list. So then the, you know, we could focus on site, you know, more so trying to close that sale, get that lease signed while we have that influx of leads coming in still being taken care of in some more of an automated way. Now, another way to handle the issue around lead prioritization is understanding lead quality. Is this person a sales qualified lead? or a marketing qualified lead. Robert shared some insight on the terms while shedding light again on how automation can help handle the difference between the two. I think one thing that, you know, I we struggle with a lot of the processes in place, especially when I was, you know, in the field is there really wasn't a concept of a marketing qualified versus a sales qualified. They gave you all leads um, and expect you to work all leads as a sales qualified lead. And again, many of them you would speak, you get them on the phone. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested for, you know, another six months. And it's like, well, you know, I run on a 60 day availability. I, I can't, I can't sell you anything today. <laughs> Let me try to remember to follow up with you in six months. Uh, which, you know, ultimately it, you know, doesn't really happen. Uh, it's very difficult. So I think introducing that concept, I mean, is a hundred percent. It's getting there. I mean, I'm starting to look for a new apartment myself and, you know, I'm, seven, eight months out from, you know, before I'm going to be ready to sign a lease and I'm doing my research, looking online, checking the different outlets, poking around. But, you know, I'm not ready to talk to anyone yet. When you think about implementing automation like Robert just mentioned, or leaning into digital activity on your website, period, one thing that becomes more crucial than ever is data. For example, you want to know what's working, who's converting, and even what patterns your traffic are. We had Elisa Fink on the show to help us tie things together. First, she touches on how to bridge the gap between online and in-store. And for her, it doesn't necessarily matter where the conversion takes place. But what does matter is measurement. Take a listen. I think once you start thinking about, well, what is the new normal? What is the new customer journey? That's where you kind of start with, how am I building an experience and a journey and a process for people to engage with me? 
from the very beginning and thinking about the basics and even just measuring or getting data or getting your process to be basic. Um, you know, you don't have to map it out perfectly. You don't have to have a metric for every darn thing, especially right now and especially at the beginning of this new normal. I always tell people, I've always told people like metrics and measurement is a process of building up. So measure the basics. If you're not really paying attention to your website traffic, start paying attention to your website traffic. If you can't take it all the way to source traffic, to leads, to revenue, to, you know, okay, that's fine. You'll get there. Don't force yourself to get overly complex at the beginning to the point where you don't really start seeing measurement until, you know, three years from now because you don't have the data warehouse you need or the measurements, you you know, it isn't perfect. Just start getting measuring this new world because as you measure even the basics of the new world, as simple as they may be at the beginning, you get smarter about them. (laughs) Measure what you can because as you measure more, your questions get smarter, your questions get better, everything goes off better. Now, if you're a brick and mortar location who's looking to start going more digital, what metrics should you start tracking immediately? Well, Lisa had some great insights here as well. Stages you're going to go through. In this situation, so like, okay, right now, maybe your goal is primarily like, let's be helpful in a digital way to our customers who maybe were accustomed to coming to us in person. So again, it's back to like, okay, what does my website traffic look like? What kind of pages am I serving up? What kind of dwell time do I have? Am I scheduling one-on-one conversations? Um, you know, you might have to bring in some really small tools or, you know, you guys help people, you know, make those things happen. It's like, again, sort of thinking strategically about what you want to accomplish and maybe thinking, how does my strategy evolve? When are the signals that it might be time to move back into selling and running real digital campaigns or at least starting to get back into selling? Really thinking about strategy first and then layering the metrics on top of it. So right now, I might be thinking about some of the basics of just measuring interaction, positive interaction, content that they're gravitating towards, improving that content, dwelling times. You know, am I doing scheduled consultations? Am I talking to people? Am I having good phone calls, good telemarketing outcomes? You know, that kind of stuff. It, it might not measure all the way to like revenue or product sold or transactions. That's okay right now. That's okay right now. Because, um, you know, it's all about just the engagement. Your data is a reflection of your business processes. And sometimes your business processes are changing and your data, your systems aren't necessarily mm. up with it. So again, get back to that, like, okay, I got to be a little comfortable with some things that I'd like to know that I don't know yet. Again, measure what you can. Start thinking about how these new processes move into data collection not just collection, but data access to the marketer and start working, uh, start already thinking and working and painting a strategy with your IT department or your people in charge of your data and your systems and your processes to say, I need to start thinking about new ways of measuring our new ways of going to market. So it's really like start with strategy, but think about strategy evolving and then think about the stages of that and what your needs are going to be in terms of your business process and how data reflects that. So it's like stay in the moment, but think forward. To summarize, measure where you're at. As we transition to our last episode of the season, I want to share one more clip from Elisa. She shared a key component to success in any sales or marketing effort. Number one is don't get overwhelmed by, hey, I'm not an expert in this digital transformation stuff. Don't get overwhelmed by that because everybody was not an expert in digital transformation, no matter how digital their company is. 
So that's a good thing. So trust yourself to learn. Number two is realize there's so many people out there that have knowledge to share and information to share, like leverage it. Just go go get educated. You know, just, just watch the videos, read the white papers, talk to Perks, talk to whomever, you know, just know that the knowledge is out there. You don't have to be an expert. You can acquire that knowledge or you can at least get informed. And then third, when it comes into, you know, in a step process, I guess, when it comes to being a change agent internally, be informed, be super informed, but, but, but be humble, smart about it. You know, be, um, be a person who does ask a lot of questions, maybe admits vulnerability. Like this is not something, this is pretty new to me too. Here's what I've learned because that'll give people, other people permission, especially across sales and marketing channels and sales and marketing people, whether it's in store or on website or direct sales or marketers, give them an opportunity to be a little vulnerable about what they don't know and how you can learn together and you can make things happen. Because going back to the fact that technology changed so much, even experts are not even that expert with certain new ways of operating, right? It's, it's a lot of stuff is pretty new. So it's kind of like, again, be a lifelong learner because being a learner and asking good questions and hearing people is going to help you get through a time like this when there's so much change. This idea about being a lifelong learner aligns perfectly with what Irina Soriano shares about understanding sales enablement. She's the head of enablement for Seismic. And to kick off her recap, let's start with defining the term sales enablement. So it's really the strategic use of people processes and technology at the same time to improve sales productivity and increase revenue. That single statement is probably the most important thing about this entire season because it allows you to truly become a revenue driver for your business. And to wrap up this episode, I want to provide you with some final clips from Irina. You'll hear two things from her. Number one, where's the first place to start? It probably splits us up into new hires and existing hires as well. Like what can we make sure for the people that come through the door? And I hate to say it, but if you're not bringing them on the right way, you're already creating a bad experience right out of the gate. And we know that if people leave or or, or you were to exit them within the first three to six months, that cost you 125% roughly of their annual salary. So there's a lot of cost involved as well. If we're talking here, small companies or even mid-sized companies it's very important to make sure that you give people a good start and you make sure they can get successful. So that's one piece. If I would say you, you don't really have anything structured, like make sure your people have a good start when they come into your organization. And then the second piece is for existing employees as well. And, you know, let's just talk specifically just about sales. So everything around, you know, baseline for me is, do you have a wild, wild west sales for? Or do you have a little bit of structure, right? Every company is going to hit a point where they say, okay, we need a little bit of process here. So having a solid sales process in place, have a buyer experience defined, and ideally, that's the kind of next step, um, have a sales methodology that people actually know, hey, this is how we sell here. You know, at this organization, like at Seismic, for example, we follow a value selling approach when it comes to our methodology. We have defined sales process, we have defined buyer experience. It's just, it's easier to, you know, bring people on the same page and just create a little bit of structure. But then also, and this is the magic word, probably my favorite word, um, is to just instill some accountability into people. So, hey, folks, this is how we're doing this. 
company ABC, right? And this is how we know we're going to successfully be doing it. We're all going to be doing it the same way. So if you got nothing and just a little bit of content, I would say those are probably the places where you, where you want to go. And now second, what metrics do I focus on first? This is a big one. We impact things that impact revenue. Now, the key here is really we want to show like what our specific effort has impacted, right? So it, it has to be relevant and it kind of comes down to what is the specific project you're working on? What's the specific initiative? What's the specific enablement service that you're rolling out? So I'll give you an example. Let's say you start with you building out like a high complex, high end onboarding program for your sales team, right? Which is kind of like the necessary evil. If I was then to say, okay, let me measure ROI on how we're cutting cycle time in the next six months. That really has nothing to do with each other. So you're not going to impact cycle time if you're bringing in new folks with a high-end onboarding program that you built. I would rather want to look at ramp. So if your company has to find ramp, they might not. So that's the starting point where you want to go. Sure. But I want to look at how have we, and those are like the two magic words, as you say, you know, executive feel about dollars, right? How have I increased or how have I decreased X? That's what I'm after. So I might be in this particular case, I might be looking at how have we decreased RAM time, right? By X amount of days, knowing what our RAM time was prior to the new hires going through the program that you build and what's the RAM time after. So that's like just a classic example I'm giving you. So it really comes down to what's the initiative, what's the project, and what are you actually impacting with that? And that for me is where the fine line really comes in. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this season. We invite you to go back and listen to these episodes for additional insights. Andy and I's goal is to enable you with the content you need to help bridge that gap. This year has been a challenge on many fronts, but I think we're really proud of the guests we were able to bring you this season. If there's any topics you want us to cover for season three, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can find us on LinkedIn. I am Mohammed Yassin, and this has been season two of The Bridge. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Bridge. If you liked what you heard, be sure to jump into the conversation online by following The Bridge Pod hashtag on LinkedIn. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks and stay well.